Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. One of the hardest things to accept as a new believer, or even for those who've had faith for most of their lives, is that God really does have ultimate power over everything. He is all-powerful, and nothing is out of His reach or too much for Him to handle. Today, Pastor Jim shares a verse that illustrates Jesus stomping on your fear. It's a great visual and something you can think about the next time you recognize fear in your life. Just picture Jesus as a giant, stomping on your fear with huge feet and unstoppable power. Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Revelations chapter 2 as he begins his message. Busy, but too tolerant. Well, a church is a mixture of people. Some people doing very well in their faith, some not so well, some new, many people in between. In recent history, many churches are known for their activities. A lot of people think, or a lot of churches seem to believe that what we really need to do is we need to try and keep our our people very busy. Maybe that'll keep them out of trouble or maybe it'll get them into trouble. Others do a lot of good works in the, in the community, and not necessarily gospel-related, but certainly good things. And a common problem with a busy church or busy Christians is without careful study of the Word of God, if you leave that, it's very easy to drift away from the gospel, and before you know it, you care less than you did but one point in the past. That's because, and if you ever wonder why that is, there's always some darkness behind the scene. When a church is doing well, there will be false teachers that will be sent in to lead a few or even many astray. We say this about the devil. He's, he's not the guy who comes in the front door. He's a terrorist. He comes in through the cracks in the ceiling, and he's hard to keep track of. Does you ever have a leaking roof or something like that, and you're trying to find the water, and you can't, you can't find it? Last week, we looked at the church in Pergamum. It was a church of compromise. This week, the church in Thyatira, and in many ways, they remind me of a lot of American-style churches. Thyatira was a small city, the smallest of the seven churches of Revelation. Not much is known about it. This is the fourth church we're studying, but they get the most verses of all seven, and it is honestly the most difficult of all the churches to kind of figure out what's going on. And Thyatira was a business powerhouse. There was a lot of money to be made in Thyatira, especially if you belong to one of the trade guilds. And basically, we might say you belong to the union. You were just part of it, and, but they gave into idolatry. And a lot of times, the followers of Jesus were kind of shut out of the commerce there. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, chapter 16, the apostle Paul was in Philippi, and he met Lydia, and she was a wealthy woman from Thyatira, and she was what was called a seller of purple, which was a rare kind of cloth. Now, the church in Thyatira, because it was a small, small place, was probably not a big church. This may surprise you, because we're from up here in the northeast. It's a little, the, the church setup is very, very different. Have any of you ever been down south, and you realize that every third building is a church? That's the way it is down there. The average church in America is about 65 people. 
That's the average church in America. If a church is over 200 people coming on a Sunday morning, you're in the top 10%. So welcome, Calvary Chapel. You're in the top 10%. So there we go with that. But every true church is important to Jesus. But it seems for these people, the combination of being busy with church and trying to make a living, the church kind of lost their way and they left the word of God And they were, the title of today's message, Busy But Too Tolerant. Busy But Too Tolerant, part of our series, Christ Timeless Messages for His Church. Like last week and all the other weeks, this is a church assessment, a diagnostic, and it's a diagnostic for all of us to see where we are as a church and where we are as individuals, and it can be uncomfortable. Last week's church and this week's church are probably the two most difficult ones to talk about as Jesus puts tough love on display. And he's going to get very, very forthright with us in this. So if you're taking notes, we're using the same outline for every church. This one will have a little bit of a variation at the end, but point number one is the Christ, the Christ. What do we know about Jesus? What is he going to tell us? And this is Jesus telling the apostle John what to write. He says this, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God. Now that's language from Psalm 2, but it was also what the people who worship false God called Apollo. And so these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire. So just picture God with these eyes with a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Some versions say burnished bronze, language from Daniel chapter 10 in the Old Testament. So by introducing himself with titles at the beginning of each address to each church, Jesus is telling us the importance of words that describe him and how it fits with the church that he's going to talk to. Now, his words assume that the hearers and readers know the Old Testament well. Did you know that the New Testament assumes that you know the Old Testament well? That's why we teach here at Calvary Chapel, we teach Old and New Testament. Wednesday nights, we're teaching Old Testament. People are going, I'm loving this story about Jacob, man. This guy is, this is really, this is great stuff. A lot of people feel like, I feel really good about myself looking at him. Now, of course, you're going to leave today, you're not going to feel so good about yourself. So here, Jesus cites words of judgment. Eyes like a flame of fire and feet like fine brass. So what is he telling us? That the Son of God has the authority to rule the world. Now, a lot of you, you go on YouTube, especially you YouTubers, and there's conspiracy theories, right? So just remember, when you're watching those conspiracy theory YouTube things, that the Son of God has the authority to run the world and nobody else. But more importantly, Jesus introduces himself as the promised Davidic king of Psalm 2. It was a messianic psalm written over a thousand years earlier. So this term, son of God, sets in contrast to all of the false gods that were being worshipped throughout the area with the guilds and all the trade and stuff like that. And this is in the area we know today as Turkey. So Jesus says he has eyes like a flame of fire. What does that mean? Well, in essence, it really means that Jesus can see right into your soul. He can see deep inside of you. Jesus sees 
everything that you are about. I was thinking about that this week and thinking like, he knows everything that I think. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> that was just not a, a very comforting thought for me this week. And his feet, okay, can crush all opposition. He can just stomp on everybody out. Now, not a big topic today, but in Jesus' eyes, typically people take that, like, do they go to church? That's like the low bar of Christianity right now. But Jesus knows, his eyes know, which people are the true followers of Jesus, and sadly enough, which people are the posers. And once again, followers of Jesus were probably financially persecuted, but let his feet crush your fear over what the government might do to you, over what your job might do to you over what your school might do to you, or even your own home, what might happen, because Jesus has all authority. All this to say that Thyatira, okay, Earth, the United States, yes, even New Jersey, that the king has come, and it's time to listen. And that's point number one. Number two, the commendation, the commendation. Once again, he says this, I know, I know. What, what, what do you think Jesus knows about you? Well, he begins about what, what he knows that's good. He says, I know your works. And then he tells us some of the things that they're doing. He says, I know your love. I know your service. I know your faith and your patience. Some versions say your endurance. And as for your works, the last or the last works you've been doing are more or exceed than the first. So it looks like, from the outside, it looks like they're making progress. We might put it this way. Jesus would say to us, you guys are pushing the envelope. You're going for it. You're getting it done. Now, that's no small thing, because each year a church exists, it seems harder and harder to get things done. You have more people coming, but there's a lower percentage of people that are participating in some of the things that you don't hear about. Less people, percentage-wise, are serving. Less people maybe are giving money, percentage-wise. Doing whatever it is, or people are not coming as often. There's all kinds of things. And, and so people are, are just not, perhaps, perhaps they're too busy to participate in the things of God. And it's easy to lose your fire for Jesus. Year after year, after year if, you're not, if you say working it out, we're supposed to work out our salvations with fear and trembling. If we're not working it out, it's easy to lose your fire. And one thing I've noticed post-COVID that people seem much more fearful. People are very paralyzed. We don't know what's next, and certainly the economy is not helping us, is it? Every guy gets on the TV, oh, the recession's coming, the recession's coming. And we've had to deal with, what, a year, a year and a half of that? And now you, I heard the other guy say, it'll be in 2025. I'm like, oh, great, thanks, <laughs> right? And so there's all kinds of different stuff that, that, is, that is going on that's making us a bit, you know, kind of out of it. And let's be honest, for a church, it's easy to look back at the past and, and rest on our laurels. It's easy for us to become a social club. It's easy for us to become less excited about the things of the Lord, and here, Jesus particularly cites their love and their faith. And those could be primarily the two virtues of the Christian life. And Jesus says to them, you guys are faithful. 
And I appreciate that about you guys. Now, in the first letter, the church at Ephesus, remember they had all their doctrine and all their teaching right now. They were spot on. I mean, if you wanted to go get educated, that was the church to go to. And Jesus, remember what he said to them? You've left your first love. But not this church. It certainly appears that with their service, that the fruit of the Spirit is, is active in their midst. Jesus cites their service and their patience or their endurance In other words, they're not watching everybody else in the church do all the work. They're motivated by grace. There are a bunch of people who have their sleeves rolled up, and they got to work. So what's going on? Their love and their faith feed their service, and their service is an evidence of the grace of God that's operational in their life. And if these things... Okay, love, service, faith, and patience or endurance, okay, are missing in your life or declining in your life. Okay, you should be concerned. That's a spiritual diagnostic for you. You should be concerned. They're serving Christ in his church. They're putting Jesus and others before themselves. They are honoring their commitment. They are growing in grace. And it appears that there needs to be no recognition needed. You know, some people want to have to have a lot of recognition, but they don't need any any recognition. They're getting it together. They're doing it. Now, that does not describe most churches in America. Perhaps you've heard this illustration that a lot of people compare churches to a football game. Okay? You got the, you're in the stadium, right? And there's 22 people down on the field knocking their brains out. And 50,000 people in the church cheering them on or being critical of them, right? And that's the way a lot of churches work, is you have a fewer people doing a lot of different things. But this church in Thyatira was not like that. This was not a talk-a-good-game church. You know, some people, you ever meet anybody, they, they can talk a good game, but they can't play a good game? Those of us who played sports when we were younger, by the time you get to be like, you know, a few decades away from your playing high school sports, you're much better than you ever were in high school, right? (laughs) And so we remember those types of things maybe a little bit differently, but they were not talk a good game Christians. They were dependable servants of the kingdom. They were the real deal. Now, in this sense, they are a tremendous example to us. They were busy about the king's business. They were zealous in their labors of love, and no doubt they were generous as well. Now, some of their internal qualities were being expressed externally. So what was going on inside of them, right? The grace of God was coming to them, and it was overflowing. They didn't become a cul-de-sac of grace, okay? We get it in, and we give it out. This is what they were doing, and so they were serving the Lord. They were loving God. They were loving their neighbors as themselves because that was going on inside of them. So here's our first soul-searching question we have to think about today. Is your love for Jesus, is my love for Jesus producing more service to others? And that service is not just in church. That's everywhere we go. Are we constantly thinking of other people? On your job, some of you are much younger than me. Let me tell you something. If you, okay, always think of who's going to get your work next and make it easier for them, little things, like you'd say somebody, you know, your boss, you say, well, I did this and I looked at a bunch of websites, give them the links to the websites. They may or may not look at them, but do that. 
If you think of who's ever next in line after you and make it easier for them, you'll probably get a promotion. If you do, just remember I get 10%, okay? But that's the way it is. So they were, but we take that everywhere we go. So, so is my love for Jesus producing more service? Is it producing more generosity in my life? Right? Am I a generous person? Now, many people are afraid with the economy, I, I, but I still bring it back to 2 Corinthians, where if you sow much, you'll harvest much. And I don't want to be a prosperity preacher, but here's the thing. If your hand's closed all the time, guess what? It's not open for God to put stuff in. And so if you tighten God's grip, God's going to be like, all right, I'll find some other open hands somewhere to do that. Okay? And then, so am I using God's time, talent, and treasure that he's given to me more than I was in the past? Or is, am I just kind of holding on to things? Am I more or less excited about the things of God? Am I more or less desiring a deeper intimacy with Jesus than I was before? Am I really more about the mission of the gospel than I was in years gone by, or am I kind of just fizzling out? Now, here's what's going on here in Thyatira. The church looked good on the outside, but there's some serious trouble going in on the inside. And any church can be that way. We can look great on the inside, on the outside, but we don't know what's going on in the inside. And that takes us to number three, the complaint. The complaint. Verse 20, nevertheless. If you have your own Bible, you probably want to circle that word. Draw a little out, arrow out to the margin and write, put your seatbelt on. Okay? So maybe, maybe some of you, the seatbelts on the sides of your seat, you can reach down. Some of you are actually going to look. <laughs> but uh, whenever Jesus says to you, nevertheless, hold on. Hold on. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Now, that's very gracious, only a few things. And he says, because you allow, some of your versions say, tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Now, notice it says she calls herself a prophetess. God doesn't. She claims to be a prophetess. She's running around telling me, I'm a prophetess. I'm a prophetess, you know? People come up to me all the time, and they'll go, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, big deal. So am I. They'll let anybody in, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. You know, a guy comes up to me, I have a doctorate in theology. I go, I could care less. Seriously. You could be from Satan Seminary. I don't know where you're from. <laughs> where you're from. I mean, so you got to be really careful of this kind of stuff. So she says, he's this woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce, some versions say misleads, my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, remember when we talked about the way you made money in town was you had to join the guild or the union, and they were into idols. They were into sexual immorality. We saw in a previous study. And what does this woman say? You know, you don't have to take it all so seriously. You got to make a living. You don't worry about it. It's okay. And, and here's the one that you hear a lot of times. There's grace. There's grace. And Jesus is like, it's not okay. It's not okay at all. And that's what he wants us to hear about the problem with this church. And he says, I got a few things against you, but the big thing is you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. So if any of you felt a sense of pride from verse 19, you read those things, you're like, I'm doing all those things. Yep, yep. 
I'm doing all those things. Or you thought, oh, our church, we're doing all those things. We're great. If they felt the same thing, Jesus completely deflates the balloon right here. And Jesus says, you tolerate false teaching in your church. You allow, now I'm not saying there's not different thoughts on different things. I'm not saying that we have to sort some things out. I'm not saying that there's going to be people who come into our church. If you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're here for the first time. You don't understand all this stuff. You're like, this guy is bizarre. I get it. I am. And so, but you're just like, I, I don't know what's going on here. But if you come in, you have some opinions of some things. That's fine. We're people of the word of God. And so we want to help you learn those things so you can you know, really think these things out. And so, but he's like, you tolerate these things which you know to be false. No doubt, this is a charismatic woman who is drawing disciples unto herself, a term from the Bible, and some are buying into it. But what he's really critical of is the people who see it and say nothing about it. That's what he's really critical about. Some are gonna, people are going to hear it, and they're not gonna, they're, they're gonna be like, oh, that sounds reasonable to me. And other people, their baloney meter is gonna go, and they're gonna be like, oh, no, that's not right. But they're just gonna let it fly because they don't wanna cause any trouble because they wanna be loving. And Jesus is gonna really tell us in a few minutes if that's what your attitude is, I don't mean to be overly insulting, that you're a spineless jellyfish, you're a leaning tower of jello. Okay, that's what you are. And he's going to, like, where's sweet Jesus? He all of a sudden disappeared the last two weeks. What's going on with that? The Lord says her name is Jezebel. Now, I really doubt her name is Jezebel. How many of you know anybody named Jezebel? My daughter's name is Jessica, and Pam used to always call her Jezebel, and I say, be very careful with that pronunciation, <laughs> okay? <laughs> because we don't want her to be called that at all. So uh, again, the Bible assumes that you're familiar with the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, you want to write down 2 Kings, you can look her up. She was the pagan wife of King Ahab of the northern kingdom of Israel. He should not have married her, but he did. A lot of times they married people for political alliances, and she killed some of God's prophets, she tried to kill the prophet Elijah, and she raised up prophets who were prophets of the false gods. Why? To try to steal the hearts of the people of God away from the true and living God. Now, let's go back to Ephesus. Ephesus, great place of learning, great teaching. They had good works. They had doctrine, but they had left their first love, but they did not let this stuff in their church. This was not tolerated in their church. Once again, like other parts of the Roman empires, it's hard to do business if you didn't participate in false god worship, okay? And followers of Jesus were not supposed to do that. And let's be honest, the thought of running out of money is a very scary thing. Many of us now, a lot of people trying to just seek comfort and stuff like that, wasting a lot of money buying stuff that we don't need, not realizing that the credit card companies and the little fine print, you know, they, they hand you that thick thing when they give you a credit card that you're like, what are they giving me this for? <laughs> it says they can raise your rate whenever they want. That's what it says. And so a lot of us are, are buying things that we really don't need. If you haven't touched it in a few years, guess what? You probably don't need it. You probably don't need it. And so it's a scary thing not to have money. It's a scary thing that the thought of losing your job it's a scary thing of maybe losing your social status. 
And some, for some of us, we can't relate to that at all. You know, in the Northeast, what happens up here, years ago, you'd go to a party and people would say to you, so what do you do for a living, right? That's how they meet you. They have a drink in one hand. So what do you do for a living? Do you know what they said down south? What church do you go to? That's what they used to say. And so people would go, didn't, who didn't believe in God would still go to church to make business contacts. And that because you, if you didn't go to church, same thing as with these guys with these guilds and the idolatry, if you didn't go to church, you couldn't do business in certain places. And if you didn't participate in what they were doing, you could lose some of your friends. And here with this woman Jezebel, it's easy to prey on people who are looking to feel safe, isn't it? It's easy to prey on people who want just to somehow feel good about themselves. That's, that's a church strategy that works today. If I can get you to feel really good about yourself, you're just going to leave here. I'm feeling great about myself. This is awesome. Things are looking up. And then when things fall apart, you're out of the faith. Why? Well, it didn't work. It didn't work. Change it from teaching the Bible or teaching about Jesus to just you know making you feel good about yourself. Thanks for listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to bring you hope, encouragement, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with us that Changed by Love will make a profound difference in many lives. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Teaming together in prayer is the key to a spiritually rich life. It really does take a team of praying individuals to reach thousands. Thank you for being a part of the Change by Love support team. To find out more ways to team with Change by Love, go to our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you could call 862-217-9686. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.